Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Fellas, I'm ready to get up and do my thing. I want to get into it, man. You know. Like, I, you know I'm the man, don't you? Can I count it off? One, two, three, four. You're listening to the Church Politics Podcast with Michael Ware and Justin Gibbony, where you can get in-depth political analysis from a Christian worldview. Transcend partisanship and political ideology with us as we seek true discipleship in the public square. I'm schooled in the ways of runaway slaves. I'm brave. I'm unchained. I'm Frederick Douglass with a fade. This is the Church Politics Podcast with Michael Ware and Justin Gibney. Good to be with you another week, Justin. I had a great birthday uh, last week and uh, had the opportunity to check out the Met and uh, see Carousel on Broadway, which <laughs> I'd recommend anyone who can make it to New York and see that show uh it, it was it was pretty incredible but uh i'm another year older but uh things are going well so far how are you justin i'm doing well happy belated birthday brother i'm i'm glad to hear you enjoyed it i'm just glad to be in the service one more time i'll tell you one of the highlights of my week last week was uh getting a chance to hear you and lecrae actually at the trinity forum in atlanta talking about civility man you tore it up i was uh i left uh, very pleased and, and enlightened by what you had to say, bro. So that was great. I ended my week uh, in Brooklyn. Uh, as many of you know, the end campaign is on our frontline discipleship tour. Uh, we were in Brooklyn with Pastor Rich Perez, Rasul Berry, Zach Martin and others who spoke and just really had a good time trying to help folks understand what it looks like to uh, have a biblical worldview in the public square. So it was a good week. Yeah, that, that's great, man. And thanks. Yeah, it was great to see you out in in Atlanta, in 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 your town, uh, for the event with Lecrae. And uh, uh, I know you're coming to DC in a few weeks, and and excited to host you here. Uh, let Let's get into it. It's it's been uh, an interesting uh, week. Another one of those weeks where there was a a, a mixture of of tragedy and you know, uh, entertainment spectacles really. Um, and I, I think it's good to start, uh, with, with the tragedy. And, and that is of course on Friday morning, uh, uh, right before graduation, really. I mean, just weeks out from graduation, uh, there was a shooting at Santa Fe high school, which is just outside of Houston, Texas, uh, the latest counts I've heard, 10 were killed, uh, 10 or more were injured. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's just another uh, school shooting. Uh, and there's really, to me, a sense of, um, I think, outrage, but also uh, the, the fact that this it really is not starting to feel uh abnormal that this is really starting to feel uh like something that you can expect that that sort of sentiment was expressed by uh, a, a young female student who was interviewed 
by uh, by by a news station who uh, who who basically said that who said that she she knew it was only a matter of time before it came to her school. And so, uh, Justin, uh, what is there anything different about this this moment this this shooting? Uh, what do you think we need to take away from? Uh, from, from, and not just take away. Oh, well, do you think there's any hope for for action in the short term? Have you seen any signs of politicians or or stakeholders re- reacting differently? Well, in Florida, we saw some movement, right? We saw some movement there after the tragedy. Probably not as much as most would like. Um, and you would think that these tragedies uh, would speak for themselves. Uh, but it seems like they don't speak for themselves because there's not enough movement. There's not enough, uh, folks just getting the work done again. I see politicians all over want to talk about it on both sides, but do they want to really put in the work to get something done? Um, I'm always somewhat hopeful, but I haven't been given a whole lot of reason from the present, uh, circumstances to be, uh, really, really hopeful in this circumstance, but we'll, we'll keep, uh, praying on it and we'll keep hoping something happens. This particular case, as you said, was was somewhat interesting. The shooter was a 17 year old uh, male student at the high school. Um, he was later apprehended. Uh, apparently, he intended to commit suicide and just didn't go through with it. Uh, but it's a complicated case. Uh, if you look at it, uh, he used a shotgun. He used a 38 revolver and explosives. And so there wasn't an assault rifle uh, involved in this shooting. Uh, there were two armed guard officers. Uh, police officers at the school. And so that goes against a lot of the solutions uh, that have, have been proposed by both sides. This kind of, this was just a different circumstance than some of the other ones. Um, we know that the ease by which someone can get a gun in this country is part of the problem. And I, and I want, I, you know, at some point I want everybody to come to that conclusion. It doesn't mean we have to get rid of all guns, but that is part of the problem. We also at the same time have to consider that the violence within our society may be coming from other places too. And so this, you know, even though it may seem like an easy answer, and I think we should do what we can do immediately to, to solve it but with the low hanging fruit that I'll get into in a second, but the problem may still be bigger than that. And I think we can consider both of those things in order to move forward. But just as we did last time, I think it was with the Parkland shooting. We want to give you we, we talk about sensible gun restrictions, but we want to let you know what those are. What, what are some of the things we're, we're referring to? And here's some easy thing. Not easy, but here's some things that I think our legislators could do to help this situation. Uh, the first thing is to ban uh, the sale sale of guns to people on the terrorist watch list and ban the sale to the mentally ill. Uh, number two um, is require universal background checks on gun owners with no loopholes. Uh, we know at some gun shows, there are loopholes that people have gotten through that put society in, 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 in danger. Number three, uh, just require gun owners to res- report stolen guns, uh, to report those immediately. If your gun disappears, you need to tell the authorities. Uh, number four, uh, no sale to people with violent crime convictions. Uh, that seems pretty simple. Uh, and, and lastly, um, change the purchase age from 21. I mean, raise it to 21 from 18. Uh, now to be fair, if you're going to talk to someone from the NRA or someone that, uh, is as heavy as big on guns, they're going to say, well, none of the things that you named, uh, would have stopped this particular shooting. Uh, and that may or may not be true. 
but we still need to do what we can to prevent these situations. That's not an excuse not to make any uh, changes. And so that's what I would leave us with. Let's get something done. Uh, we've seen enough family struggle. We've seen uh, too many hurt people. And although we know that we're dealing with principalities and we'll, we're dealing with a violent spirit that we need to, uh, uh, you know, address spiritually, uh, there are things that we can act on now to not give that spirit access to, to, to easy ways of taking lives. And so I think that's what we should uh, focus on and just get it done. Yeah, absolutely. And, and look, uh, if you look at the conversation in D.C. or among politicians and say, look, this is uh, uh, there is important policies that that can be changed. Uh, but this is a heart issue. And until uh, uh, politicians recognize that. Uh, they're not going to be able to solve it. I mean, the good thing I'd have to to tell you is that uh, to the extent that this is a hard issue, that to the extent that this is a uh, uh, this is a cultural problem, uh, you, you don't need policymakers. And so I often hear uh, uh, people refer to the fact that this is this takes more than policy. It's it's uh, uh, clearly there. There's evil going on. That well, it's not policymakers' job to take care of every cultural problem. It's not politicians' job and policymakers' job to address the spiritual nature of everything we're facing. Their job is policy, so they're going to be talking about policy changes. If 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 you think that uh, the spiritual aspect of this uh, is is uh, a major driver. Then think about uh, how, as cultural leaders and, and through cultural leadership uh, that may or may not include politicians, uh, we can address this problem. But don't use that as a way to to uh, obfuscate or uh, get away from uh, policy changes in the realm of politics. Uh, and so, uh, Justin, I, I think the the solutions you laid out make uh, make sense and. I hope that our policymakers will do their job uh, and the rest of us will do ours. Uh, with that, we'll, we'll take a quick break. When we get back, we're going to talk about uh, President Trump's immigration comments from this last week. This is the Church Politics Podcast. I love my family. I'm best friends with my dad. And then this 2016 election cycle came up and it really drove a wedge in between some of us. Donald Trump's the first person that got us. He's the first person to actually at least pretend to give a damn about us. Check out Depolarize, the podcast that fights against tribalism and incivility by searching for common ground at the intersection of politics, psychology, and faith. This season, we look closely at the phenomenon of white evangelical support for Donald Trump and the many difficult, related questions that are begging to be answered. Two grown men picked him up, a 15-year-old kid, and threw him as hard as they could off the hood of the car. Uh, and it's shocking. It's shocking. His whole, all his teeth came out. Uh, he's bleeding all over the place. And they look, they look to us. Right? They say, you fucking this is what happens to you. God isn't far away. God is with us now, here, now. Every moment matters. I don't know why I'm crying. It just, it just hurts. Find Depolarize on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, we're back at the Church Politics Podcast. And Justin, uh, this last week we saw one of those uh, controversies that I think, you know, pretty uh, starkly paints a picture of 
the state of our politics right now, uh, how disheartening it can be for people who uh, are trying to pay attention, uh, trying to uh, understand the issues, and yet so much of our political conversation and what the media is covering uh, are these sort of partisan squabbles. And, of course, I'm referring to uh, President Trump's uh, comments about uh, immigration and MS-13. Uh, the, the context here is uh, President Trump was hosting a roundtable uh, conversation about California's sanctuary law and uh, had officials and advocates around that that table. Uh, a California sheriff, a female sheriff, made a comment uh, that her that she felt uh, restricted in her ability to deport MS-13 gang members or or to to uh, arrest them um, for a minor crime that that things had to be elevated in order for her to go after uh, people she knew to be bad people. Uh, and it was at that point where Trump launched into uh, launched into this uh, riff. Uh, about people trying to, quote, come in and being deported who are, quote, not people, they're animals. Uh, this set off a, a, a firestorm, uh, uh, particularly on social media, and then it, then it spread from there of, of, of people saying that the, the president uh, was referring to all immigrants as, as animals, as, as not people, which, you know, he he said he he said they're not people as uh, referring to people uh or regardless of what else you want to say uh, uh uh denotation he was he was wrong he said they're not people they're animals uh and and then uh it became clear that uh there was a context around his statement and the conversation moved to a, a question of whether Democrats were defending MS-13 gang members as opposed to uh, being tough on crime uh, and and being uh, having a tough immigration policy. Uh, Justin, I know you have some background you want to you want to share uh, about MS-13, and, and I think that's important for for the context here for why this what was viewed as a a political football and something that Republicans and President Trump could could actually take advantage of. Yeah, definitely. I, I do have some background on that. First, let me say, obviously, no, no human being should be referred to as an animal. Uh, we all know that whether he was referring to immigrants in general or MS-13, we can we can all agree on that. Um and 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 the you know something else I want to say is that we just have to start reporting, make sure that our reporting is accurate, uh, because it doesn't help anybody when we try to corner somebody or get them into a situation that takes it out of context. Now, truth be told, the reason why it was this may have been interpreted as him talking about all immigrants is because he has talked about all immigrants in a similar way before, so it wouldn't be completely uh, out of character for him to do that. But yet, and still, yet, uh, but yet, we still have to report things uh, more accurately. Um, you know, the, the behavior of MS-13, and I'm going to get to who they are and what they're about in a, in a second, uh, it should not be used to demonize all immigrants. And I think with, uh, with Sessions and President Trump, we've seen that happen. 
Uh, we've seen even in the Trump campaign them use MS-13, which probably has about 10,000 uh, members uh, in the U.S. right now. So it's not a huge organization, uh, certainly one that needs to be addressed, but it shouldn't be used as a reflection of all immigrants. And I think the Trump administration and his campaign have done that to their advantage on different issues. Um, as you know, anyone who listens to this show, no one on this show is going to defend the president uh, in the way he talks about immigrants. His record on disrespecting and dehumanizing our immigrant brothers and sisters is clear uh, and is absolutely unacceptable. That said, uh, Michael, I, I do think some of the responses to this comment uh, were inconsistent and consequently actually played into Trump's hands. Uh, right. We have to be very careful about this selective outrage. Uh, the word animal is not something we should use for people, but I'm almost certain that most of us have been in conversation when, conversations when someone has used it for someone else and we probably didn't react in the same way that we reacted <laughs> to Trump. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, just to be honest, I mean, I've, yeah. I don't recall using it lately, but I can imagine that I've used it before or heard people use it and I didn't react in that way. So for the people that made this a huge deal, um, I'm with you if you if you make that a huge deal about everything. Right. So. um if if you hear one of your friends talk about the NRA in terms that are yeah. not not necessarily respecting their humanity, right. then I hope you react the same way. Same thing with somebody who does something terrible like Harvey Weinstein or the school shooters. Make sure that if we're going to be outraged by this word, that we're all outraged in all instances or, or else we just kind of lose credibility. Mm. Um, and, and so that's one of the things that I would I would want to point out. Some of the responses to your point show just how polarized we are, because we did have some. Democrats going too far in almost defending or sanitizing MS-13. And that's something we do definitely do not want to do. So I'm going I'm to talk a little bit about who uh, or what MS-13 is and uh, kind of what their perspective is. Uh, it, it is a street gang uh, that's known for really some very gruesome executions. It was created by, by Salvadoran immigrants in the 19 mid 1970s and really gained traction uh, around the 80s, when a lot of immigrants from El Salvador were coming to the U.S. to escape what what was a very bloody civil war in their country. MS uh, stands for Amera Salvatrucha, um, um, and Mera meaning gang or clique, Salva referring to El Salvador, and Trucha roughly translates into street smarts. The 13 comes from the 13th letter in the alphabet, which is M. Um, and some people are saying that relates to the Mexican mafia. So just so you understand what the meaning of that name is, uh, the gang's motto is kill, rape, control. Uh, they're involved in drug dealing, extortion, rape, uh, execution style murders, many of those being uh, with a machete. Vox reported uh, recently that in 2003, MS-13 members murdered a 17 year old girl who was pregnant at the time. For cooperating with authorities, uh, they stabbed her in the neck so violently that they pretty much severed her head and then they threw her body into the river. Uh, years later, another victim in the same area was stabbed a hundred times, decapitated, and his heart was cut out of his body. Uh, so this is a group that in no way, regardless of what Trump says, do we want to defend uh, what they're doing. The, this is a group who has in some areas terrorized their neighbors, terrorized everyone around them, and is doing that uh, today. Uh, the Obama administration actually designated the group 
a transnational criminal organization in 2012. Uh, so let's not go to a space where, where, you know, where we're putting up a defense. But what this points out to me, bottom line, is that we need a comprehensive, we need comprehensive immigration reform. Um, that would settle the conversation about sanctuary uh, cities that needs to be settled. That would settle the conversation about the DACA issue so that dreamers and others would have peace and know what to expect. And it would let us um, address issues like these gangs without being worried about so many of these other issues that are that are all that are all a part of it. Uh, so let's get to the issue. Um, Trump should have never said what he said. He's done that before. And so I understand why he's not going to get the benefit of the doubt. But let's make sure that we're being consistent and really getting to the heart of the issue. Otherwise, we're just dealing in. Yeah. And, you know, part of the context of this is, you know, we're heading into the month of June where as of you know the time of this recording, Speaker Ryan is planning on holding a series of votes around immigration. And so, you know, part of the tough rhetoric, part of the events are being held around immigration, I think, are uh, uh, positioning. So uh, President Trump is actually uh, they're so happy with how this controversy has turned out for them. Uh, it was reported this morning President Trump will be in Long Island on Wednesday uh, and it's being billed explicitly as uh, an event where he'll uh, rail against MS-13 animals at a Long Island event. And so now, you know, this White House is trumpeting that they're. Um, that, that, that they, uh, that the president used the, the, the term animals, uh, which of course gets under, uh, you know, uh, liberals, uh, skin. Uh, but it's also important to recognize that last week, uh, the farm bill, which is usually a bipartisan, you know, relatively easy thing to, to pass was actually killed by, uh, a, a few dozen House Republicans uh, as sort of a warning shot and a, and a way to uh, show their influence uh, against Speaker Ryan in advance of these immigration votes. They don't want these votes to take place. They don't want to see these policies, uh, 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 these issues be addressed through through policymaking, uh, at least not uh, in the way that I think they that they think it'll turn out. And so, you know, there's a lot of positioning going on. Uh, it, it, there's a lot of politics, uh, uh, happening, uh, and, uh, we're, we're heading into a, a pretty complicated June when it comes to immigration politics after, you know, as we've discussed on this show, numerous delays in, you know, what was assumed to be the quote unquote deadline for addressing DACA. And so, you know, just in like, again, I want to return, you know, I, I can understand and I feel it sometimes uh, how disheartening it can be if you let's say that you just started sort of paying attention to politics in the last year or two. Uh, you've been protesting around DACA. Maybe you've been participating in your church's immigration legal aid program and you're really trying to read up on this stuff. Uh, and then, you know, your Google alerts come alive or whatever and immigration news comes across your inbox. And it's not it's not really policy related. It's it's uh, you having to spend three hours to figure out what the president said and in what context uh, and, and make sure you have all your facts straight when, frankly, the facts really, you know, that this is a flash in the pan controversy. So you just spent hours, you know, trying to figure out 
what this hellabaloo is about and you're not advancing your interest in making people's lives better at all. And I think that's just, you know, one of the worst things about our politics right now that it's, it's almost constructed so that people who earnestly want to engage the issues, uh, have, have roadblocks in their way at every turn. Yeah, I agree. It's, it's, it's certainly frustrating. Uh, we, people want to concentrate on the, uh, they want to concentrate on the policy. They want to get to the bottom line. How can we make this a better situation? Because there are people involved here, right? There are people at, on every aspect of this conversation. And, and as long as we're focusing on the, the small things and, and these little fires that we have to put out, we just don't get to the heart of it. To your point, this is going to come up in the, uh, the house very soon. And so, We'll see where everybody really stands. Hopefully we can get to where I hope I hope it comes to a point where people have to take a stand and at least the people will know where everybody is at on this issue. Uh, but hopefully we get something done. Yeah. Uh, that's well, best after case. this quick break, we're going to talk about another policy that might be moving in Congress. Uh, and, and we'll let you know what that is uh, right after this quick break. This is the Church Politics Podcast. All right, we're back at the Church Politics Podcast. Uh, Justin, uh, there's been, you know, we're going to see immigration uh, votes take place in June. Uh, at this moment, June, uh, we're, we're also uh, going to see uh, North Korea, uh, the summit take place in June. And a lot of people have been thinking that uh, this summer might be an opportunity to move forward on criminal justice reform. Uh, Senate Majority Whip John Cornyn has been pushing a criminal justice reform bill that is much scaled back from large uh, uh, a large criminal justice bill that would uh, be more comprehensive in nature. Uh, uh, but he's been uh, leading on this uh, bill that's focused specifically on prisons and, and most is mostly a training training program bill. Will will uh, provide trainings to help with. Uh, prisoner reentry. Um, <laughs> uh, news came out a couple days ago that uh, Senator Tom Cotton of Arkansas has been working behind the scenes to scuttle this bill. He's been uh, reaching out. His office has been reaching out to advocates uh, to get them to come out uh, in opposition to this bipartisan prison reform bill. That again, you know, falls way short of what. Many people who have been paying attention to this to this space think is necessary, uh, and uh, uh, but T Tom Cotton has not yet come out publicly against it, and so we have a lot of kind of kind of backroom uh, dealing and and uh, uh, navigating here. Uh, Justin, do you do you think a what do you think of Tom Cotton kind of uh, working to scuttle this bipartisan bill behind the scenes without even being publicly opposed to the effort? Uh, if this report from Politico is correct. Uh, and then second, do you, do you think that with Attorney General Sessions, uh, with the reputation that this president has, with midterms coming up, that criminal justice reform is uh, likely to happen in a political sense uh, this summer? Well, those are some good questions. Uh, to start with Tom Cotton, like you said, he's been making some calls in his office uh, trying to get people who were supporting the bill to to reconsider and actually not support it. I, my understanding, uh, based on the political report, is that he's been su successful in that regard um, when it comes to a couple organizations. I think that's unfortunate. 
I'm not sure what Tom Cotton, Senator Cotton's um, point of view or what his deal is on some of these uh, uh, criminal criminal justice reform uh, issues. I, I'm trying to figure him out. Uh, as you can tell, I'm kind of at a loss. I don't I don't know where he's coming from on this, because in, even with this one, we're dealing with nonviolent right. uh, crimes uh, and criminals who are in in prison for nonviolent things. This is a very narrow version of what a lot of people wanted. So for him to feel like he needs to be the one to go behind the scenes and stop it just doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. Um, you know, one of the things I've been looking at is the the uh, house side of this. Where again, you have this bipartisan prison reform proposal, um, it, which was co-sponsored right. by Hakeem Jeffries yep. and Doug Collins, who've really been putting in a lot of work. Now, to your point, it is more narrow than what I, you, and a lot of other people, especially Democrats, would want. However, let's not lose sight of the fact that it is very significant and would help a lot of families. Here are some of the things that this First Step Act, and it's called the First Step Act. I think I think that's good a good name for it because it would be a good first step. But here's some of the things that, that the first step act would do. Uh, it would provide direct uh, programming, counseling and drug treatment for inmates. It would ban the shackling of pregnant women. It would move uh, inmates within 500 miles of their families. It would fix the rape rape audit system. And that's a very big deal. And then it would connect incarcerated individuals with apprenticeships and job training. Those things are significant. Now, I could name several other things that I would want in this, but but we we shouldn't lose sight that that would be a big deal and it would change a lot of families and the prospects of a lot of these people who, right. when they get out, right? Because you get out and we're talking about a transition that's been very tough. And when you don't transition very well, then a lot of times you end up back right back where you were. So I, I don't want to lose sight of that. But to your point, it looks like there are some politicians in both parties who are trying to stop this particular bill from moving forward. Uh, and Representative Hakeem Jeffries wrote a, 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 a fiery letter accusing people within his own party, the Democratic Party, of trying to kill this bill based on what it seemed like would be bad faith, based on some very in, inaccurate information. Uh, some of those Democrats, namely uh, Dick Durbin, John Lewis, and now it looks like Cory Booker and Kamala Harris, uh, don't want this to move forward because they're saying the bill was too narrow. And I get that. Um, but what I also get is that they know that they're not going to get anything more broad <laughs> right. with right. this particular yeah. administration. Right. So so to say, no, let's let's leverage and try to get more. Yeah. That's not realistic. And all the people that I named are capable or talented. And so I believe that they know that's not realistic. And and that's so that's a a, a really big problem to me. So really, they're in league. Uh, to some extent with, with, with Senator Cotton and trying to make sure this doesn't move forward. Um, now this bill is supported by the National Urban League. I was on the board of the National, of the Urban League here in Atlanta. It's supported by families against mandatory minimums. Uh, it's supported by Van Jones and his Cut 50 yeah. organization. And yeah. the Trump administration again said they would sign this bill. Now, if it's called the first step, it is a first step and it, it does have some significance. I don't see why you wouldn't move forward with it. Here, here's what I'm seeing. And here's my my problem. Um, the co-sponsors, Jeffries and Collins, are doing the work. They're doing the real work. They're grinding and trying to get this done. They're doing the research. They're doing the negotiation and the coalition building yeah. to make this successful. And as too often happens, you have people who are <laughs> not in the middle of the hard work. 
uh, people who have different aspirations and are trying to do other things come in and throw a wrench in everything because they're not getting exactly what they want, which I don't know if that should ever be the expectation on something like this, especially when you're in the minority on the Democrat side. Um, And again, Jeffrey seems to suggest that this is being done in bad faith, but he's saying the thing they're throwing out the whole anything that'll stick. You know, they're saying, oh, this is, you know, discriminatory and all this. He's like, no, I worked on this. (laughs) I I drew this up. That's not that's actually not true. Um, So I would just say this, you know, for all those stepping in and uh, trying to stop this bill, be careful because people are watching. Uh, Don't let your presidential ambitions, your base, your dislike of Trump put you in a position where you're going against something that would help a lot of families. No, it's not perfect. Yes, it's too narrow. But it's more than we have right now. And it gives us a chance to do more later. Now, I'm not accusing anybody of anything. If I knew for sure what the motivations of those who were going against it were, then I'd call them out. But I don't know the motivations for sure. And this this is coming from Justin Gibney, not Michael Ware. I'm sure he'll speak for himself. Um, but there is a an element on the left that does not want Trump to get anything done. Very similar to what you saw happening to Obama from the Republicans, where they feel like anything that he can get done will be a feather in his cap. It'll help him out. And so we have to make sure he doesn't get anything done. I get that politically uh, from the standpoint of looking of putting skin on policy, of looking at families and looking at the people that are sitting in jail with no opportunities uh, to, to, to train and have apprenticeships. That is absolutely wrong. And if that if that is the motivation, I don't know that it's the motivation, but if that's the motivation of any of these people, then you're part of the problem uh, and the people are watching uh, and just make sure that this is being done for the right reasons. But complicated conversation. I do hope that this goes through, even though it's not as broad yeah, as I, like I mean, I, I think that's right. I think we're seeing that in our politics, as you said, uh, in the previous administration, in this one, this sort of sense that, well, if, if we can just uh, uh, consistently paint our opponents as intransigent as obstructive as you know dun 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 then we'll be able to uh, get all the power we need to do things exactly in the way that we want them done the problem with that is that that is <laughs> that is uh not a democratic mindset uh, a mindset a small d democratic mindset that that is not how representative government is supposed to function uh right. and so yeah i mean I, I said at the top i think this bill is is too limited. It doesn't uh, uh, doesn't cover sentencing, uh, but there there's a lot of good in this bill. And when you have uh, when you have a, a Democrat from uh, from Harlem uh, and a Republican from Georgia uh, teaming up and and able to agree uh, to push for this, when you have like you said the Urban League, uh, Van Jones and Cut Fifty, you got the you got the White House, which is an important thing to have, no matter who's in it, uh, behind this bill, then uh, it would seem that it should at least get a vote. And let's get people on the record about uh, whether they want to uh, throw out uh, the baby with the bathwater, so to speak. Um, Yeah. And I would ask, I would ask people to read uh, Hakeem Jeffers, uh, Hakeem Jeffers, uh, Jeffrey's last um, Mm -hmm. letter. Because he's he's really crying out like I've done the research. Everything you're saying is does not make sense in regards to what we're doing. Don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good. What's going on here? He certainly sounds like somebody who's been putting in work 
who cares about this issue, who's put a lot of time into, into this issue. And he's saying, what are you guys doing? Right. Like and, and he doesn't call anybody out too explicitly, but very much kind of points to there being some bad faith here. Yeah. And I, hope, I do I hope just want to correct. Uh, uh, Jeffries represents Brooklyn and Queens, not 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 Harlem. Um, uh, but uh, he's been. Uh, uh, he's been fighting a long time on these issues, as as you said, and uh, yeah, I mean, I think he 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 definitely has earned the right to speak out and hopefully influence his colleagues about uh, what is what is necessary here. Uh, with that, we're going to take a, another last quick break, and when we get back, you know that we had to talk about the royal wedding, so we'll cover that when when, uh, uh, when we get back. This is the Church Politics Podcast. All right, we're back at the Church Politics Podcast. And Justin, before we sign off, uh, I, I thought we, we had to talk about the the royal wedding. It was, uh, you know, a spectacle, as one would think that uh, a, a wedding at Windsor Castle with, the uh, you know, the monarchy involved would be. It was also kind of touching, I think, uh, the, the fact that uh, Prince Harry and, and now uh, Duchess, uh, Megan, uh, Duchess of Sussex, uh, they're clearly in love. I think their marriage is going to be one of the more vibrant sort of public, uh, marriages that we've, we've seen in a long time. Both are really intense public advocates. People don't know this. Megan Markle was actually, uh, an ambassador for world vision. And so she's done a lot with uh, with evangelical community, you've done a lot on international development. So I think their marriage is going to be a, a gift to the world. Uh, and then just, you know, it was, it was, uh, it, it was a powerful ceremony. We saw, uh, the bishop of the Episcopal Church, uh, uh, Michael Curry, who I have to say is a Buffalo native. He's a Buffalo Bills fan, which, uh, I, I think helped him in his role. Uh, he, he gave a, a powerful sermon. Uh, that I think reach people who aren't usually listening to a preacher on Saturday morning. And so uh, I, I thought it was a wonderful, wonderful ceremony. Uh, good to see, uh, good to see them, them get married and to see just the, the spectacle of it all. Yeah, I'm, and I'm going to be honest. I'm going to have to yeah. lean on your analysis, my brother, because I did not watch it. Uh, you <laughs> sent me a text, asked me if I was watching it, and, and, I, and I wasn't. Uh, I do believe my wife watched part of it and, and, and enjoyed that along with some of our friends. Um, and so, you know, it's just really not my thing. I don't I don't know a whole lot about it. I'm glad you, that you brought up the work with World Vision. I had no idea about that. That, that was a good I would have liked to hear more about that. That's a uh a good thing to know. And I hope that they do. I didn't know they were advocates. And so you're kind of informing me on a lot of that stuff. Uh, and so I hope this marriage does is fruitful and that it brings uh, uh, some, some good things into the world. Uh, we need more advocates, people who are in a position where public eyes are watching to be doing the right thing for the right reasons. And if that's what comes of this, I'm really excited to hear it. Um, like I said, not huge into this kind of stuff. And so it's probably better for me not to Try to steal anybody's joy <laughs> in that regard, and just to say, "Hey, I'm glad y'all enjoyed it." Um, and I, I think it's best for me to leave it at that. All right, um, ne next week them. though, we're gonna expect that you're you're caught up, and we we want your opinion on uh, Megan's tiara uh, on on her second dress because y'all y'all know she had to have a second dress. So, <laughs> well, it was it was really that's right. Don't hold don't hold your breath, well, brother. Don't uh, hold your breath for our listeners. 
we want to hear what you thought of the royal wedding and anything else we discuss on this show uh, as always feel free to reach out to us at church politics on twitter or to uh my handle or justin's handle uh, we, we try and get back and, and love to be in conversation with y'all. Uh, it, it's been uh, wonderful uh, talking with you this week, Justin. Uh, anything coming up for the, the week ahead that folks should pay attention to? Not that I can think of off, off the top of my head. Um, I, like I said, but like you said earlier, I'm looking forward to the and campaign being in D.C. with you, Amos Jones and uh, show Baraka and others. It should be a good time. And so we're just traveling around. But if anything, keep an eye on this uh, this uh, criminal yeah. justice reform bill. Not what we wanted. But let's 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 yeah. hold some folks accountable. man. if some people don't do the right thing, let's 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 make sure that that folks know and shout out people who are doing the right thing. So I want to say for Collins and Jeffries. Good for you. Keep fighting the good fight. This is a good first step, and hopefully we can get this passed and do yeah, something even right. more now. I, I'm going to be looking to see how the meeting between uh, Trump and the South Korean president goes this week uh, as we build towards this this summit. In the last week, we've seen some signs that uh, Kim Jong-un is uh, uh, understands the predicament Trump is in since the, the White House has, has started to trumpet this a, a bit more and make it a bit more public, their expectations. Uh, I think Kim Jong-un thinks he has a bit of leverage. And so we'll see how uh, uh, the South Korean president handles this meeting. And uh, it's going to be, I think, a, a, a fascinating June on multiple, multiple fronts. And so maybe this week will give us a bit of a clarity on what we can expect uh, from the month uh, uh, to come. Uh, I think that's all we have for this episode. As always, it was a pleasure uh, being with you. This is the Church Politics Podcast. We'll see you next week. Have a blessed week. I'm grooving for the activists and graduates. I'm an advocate for those feeling abandonment. In the favelas and slums of ghetto inhabitants, it's like, can anything good come out of Nazareth? The only thing good came out of Nazareth. This is the groove. Tell me, can yeah. I'm schooled in the ways of runaway slaves. I'm brave, I'm unchained, I'm Frederick Douglass with a fade. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchases, overprohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE or Summit 4xE. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.